All right, so tonight we are going to talk about the question, uh, who cares if you are a boy or a girl? You could also ask, does it matter if I'm a boy or a girl? Um, Or does it matter if I have a gender or don't? There's all kinds of questions that could come off of this. So the first thing that I want to talk about is I'll give you this statement, then I'm going to break this down with a couple different things. But I want you to see that men and women are made equally important and importantly different. Men and women are made equally important and importantly different. I use those words very carefully. So the first thing I want you to see, we're going to start right at the beginning. If you don't know the beginning, you won't know the middle and you definitely won't know the end. So let's start right at the beginning in Genesis 1, 26 and 28. And it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. This was the first instruction given by God to man and woman. This was your job. It was your job to have dominion, to be fruitful, to multiply To make sure that the garden was growing, that everything in it was moving in a good direction. And you are the ones to keep it going, to nurture it, to move it forward. And man and woman sat in the garden to do that together. Now, before woman was created, we just had man. And we we see this actually in chapter 2 of Genesis. So chapter 1 is... Uh, a creation narrative and chapter two is the same narrative with some extra information. Chapter two, verse 18, starting in verse 18, says this about how the woman comes onto the scene with the man. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. Important statement here. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place of flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You see, the word helper here is important for this conversation of equally important and importantly different. Adam had a responsibility in the garden. And we see right here that Adam is in the garden 
walking out his responsibility. He's naming the animals. They're coming to him. He's making sure everything is running properly. But we get to a point where God looks on his situation and notices there's no helper that's fit for Adam. For this role and responsibility that God has called him to walk out. So what does God do? God says, well, every beast and flying thing and all the things on the earth that I've created, none of them are the right thing. So he says, I'm going to put Adam to sleep. I'm going to take out of his side a rib. And with that rib, I'm going to create woman. You realize that everything up until this point in time was made out of the dust. This is the first time that God has taken something from human flesh and made something out of it. It's important. There's an equality here, that there's an equalness to their responsibilities. And I want to focus on the word helper for a second here. That it's important for you to know that there is a role and responsibility for both man and woman. This comes to our question that we're going to get to. But why it's important to know the different roles. The word helper here in this passage is used other times in the Bible. And the other times in the Bible it's used, it's not used in like a, yeah, the man's here and like, No, that's not the word, the word helper's for here. The word helper used here in this passage of Genesis is used to talk about God in all the other passages it's used. It's, uh, I believe it's Ezza, Ezza, or Ezra. This word is meant to be helper, but in a way bigger context than just like, hey, I need a maid. No, what I want you to see is that Adam was not good enough to walk out the responsibilities that God had called him to without Eve. He needed Eve to do what God had called him to do. Why? Because he had a need for a role that was missing. That role was a helper. That role was to come alongside Adam in this goal of having dominion and multiplying and being fruitful and keeping the garden that Adam couldn't do alone. He needed the woman. So helper is not a lower class. It's not a less important title. Instead, we see man and woman working together to accomplish all that God has given them to do. Man alone was not good. Woman alone was not good. Both together was best. So what does this, or so what does the Bible say then about being a man and being a woman? Well, for men, I want you to think a second. We're going to take our concept that we sit in today. What do you think culture would tell you a real man is? This is for you to respond with. Yes. Andrew Gollum. Wow, okay. What would culture tell you is a real man? Strong. Strong? Strong. Has a job. Has a job, okay. Eating meat raw. Eating meat raw. Okay. All right, anything else? Tall? Someone's going to talk. Excuse me. A what? Breadwinner. Okay. 
She kind of said that. All right, anything else? What the world will look at and say, that's what a real man is? A gentleman. A gentleman? Okay. Mm, a leader. Maybe. A leader. A leader, okay. So a couple things too, to be the guy that is strong enough to fight and win all of his battles, right? If someone were to come at him with aggression, that he would be a real man if he went back at them with aggression. Uh, a real man maybe is someone who has the ability to have and use any of the girls that he wanted to. The real man is the man who's able to uh, hold himself at a party while taking lots of alcohol. All these things are what I would say if you really ask, like, oh, that guy's, that guy's a real man. I think it's with the things that you're talking about, but I'm adding the things that maybe you might not say, but I think culture would tell you. So <clears throat> with that in mind... What do you think Jesus' example of what being a man was? Jesus showed us, one, that when met with aggression, we don't meet it with aggression. He washed feet. He was a servant. He fought his battles. How? He fought his battles on the cross. Sacrificing. When there was a moment to stand up for someone who was weak, he did. He moved towards the vulnerable and the needy. He used his power and position to help and heal them. These are qualities and examples of what the Bible says about being a man. So the same question is, what do you believe are the aspects of a real woman? What do you think? What are the aspects of a real woman? Okay, cooking, cleaning, keeping a house. Yeah. What else? Mom. Mom. Dramatic. Dramatic. Okay. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. Say again. Beauty standard? Okay. That's a good one. What else? Okay, good. Um, I think of things like have to have everything in their life together. Whether it is or not, they need to portray that. Um, I think Sarah's point was great. Everything outward appearance needs to look flawless. The appearance I put off in photos, posts, whatever it is, needs to be flawless. Needs to meet a standard. Right? Children, someone talked about keeping a home. Some people would look at, like, you're not a real woman unless you have children. Right? Scripture teaches us, uh, as we already talked about in Genesis 2, aspects of being a real woman as the helper, the helpmate of the man, not in the made sense, but in the sense of, I want to partner together with you to walk out, growing everything around us in righteousness. 
growing everything around us to goodness. We also see in Genesis 3.20, as we talked about, or actually we didn't talk about this passage, but 3.20 says, uh, man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. That part of what the Bible talks about for women is uh, that they are mothers. And they raise children and have children. And then 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4 talks about, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So real quick, there's a lot here, but I just want to say gentle and quiet spirit. Does that mean pushover? Does that mean passive? No. Gentle here, you could actually translate as, um, I think of an animal like a horse that is beautiful, but if out of control, is not a good situation. But it's strength under control. To be strong and under control. And then a quiet spirit. This quiet spirit isn't just speaking less like you're not allowed to talk. No, this is a quiet spirit that is peace and trust is in who God is. That circumstances may come, storms may come, but this woman is centered in who God is and who she knows him to be. And then, obviously, we're not going to go through this section, but Proverbs 31 outlines other things about being a woman. So equally important, but importantly different. And I want to set that as a foundation. So now let's talk about our question. And I want to first talk about Romans 12, 1 and 2, as we talk about this question of does it matter if you're a boy or a girl? Romans 12, 1 and 2 say this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the transformed perspective here, which we have been um, examining briefly, is summarized as this. And um, this guy, you're not going to know, he's a, he's, a, he's a doctor, but he wrote this and said, Proper sexual attraction, gender identity, and gender <clears throat> roles are inextricably bound to a person's created male or female anatomy, which makes his or her gender identity, either male or female, God's wonderful design for the feminine body and soul to complement the male body and the soul perfectly fits them both for their different roles in the home and the church, also generating the sexual attraction they need to fulfill their call to love one another and procreate. In view of God's mercy, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, tonight our question is talking about those that struggle with who they are as a male or a female. Now, your situation may be different. It may not be. But the call is still the same, whether we're asking this question or another, that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. 
When you offer something as a sacrifice, that means I'm giving up what I have to someone else. And as Paul calls us in Romans here, he tells us, he urges us that he doesn't just say, hey, off your bodies now. No, he says, in view of God's mercy, which chapters 1 through 11 outline in Romans, in view of all of what I've said, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Every single one of us has to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What does this mean? It means that we no longer own our own bodies, as I just said, but we have been given, we have given them to God for him to tell us how we are to see and use them for his glory. Because he is God and he has shown so much mercy and grace to us in the work of Jesus. You may currently sit here in this room thinking, my body is my own. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's not what Scripture says. Your body is, in fact, not your own anymore. Our body is the Lord's, and we are to see and use it for his glory, because he is God, and he has shown his mercy to us in grace. Okay, so we need to see how the interaction of this sacrifice and gender identity work together. So let's talk about a couple of the messages of gender identity that are happening in our culture today. At a base level, this is a, another Dr. Uh, Dr. Yarhouse, uh, Mark Yarhouse, says this. At base, in increasing measures societally, boys want to be girls and girls want to be boys. Boys and girls adopt the traits, appearances, and traditional behaviors of the opposite sex. They do all the same things, address one another in the same colloquial language, and observe precious few customs and manners that distinguish one sex from the other. Society encourages this shift and punishes those who push back against it. Our children, you, are shockingly the ones who have to bear the brunt of that pushback. In today's culture, the term gender identity is used to describe how one's subjectively, not objectively, subjectively, subjectively experiences or thinks of him or herself as a male or female or somewhere in between. One's sexual identity is not permanently determined at birth by being born a boy or a girl, but it's something to be discussed later as they grow. These are the messages of culture. To discuss being transgendered is to discuss one's gender identity, which means I could in sex be a boy, but my gender identity as I experience it is as a girl or something in between. Sometimes this happens, this domino starts to roll because they may not feel like they fit into the stereotypes of male or female. So a lot of the things we talked about earlier about what culture says are real men and what real men are supposed to look like and what real women are supposed to look like, what their uh, emotions and personality is supposed to be like, well, what if I'm not like that? I must be wrong. I must be other. And this is what can start to happen. Remember, we are talking about what culture says are real men and real women. Those are many of the stereotypes that individuals look at. 
What I feel inside is not the same as the other girls and boys in my school or friend group. There becomes a confusion and a loneliness associated with not fitting into your gender and its stereotypes. There is a deep, deep level of loneliness here. People who struggle who don't even know how to talk about it. There becomes confusion and loneliness associated with not fitting into your gender and its stereotypes. This loneliness and not belonging brings massive amounts of depression and anxiety to any individual struggling with their birth gender. So you or someone you know may struggle here and you know exactly what I'm talking about. The mass amounts of weight that has been put on your shoulder to try to figure out why I don't belong where I'm supposed to belong. And the world around you has said, go try here, go try here, why not try this, change this, see if you fit here. And what we're going to talk about by the end of tonight is that you fit perfectly as God has created you to be. The solution here is not to abandon the truth of Scripture for the open pastures of cultural ideas, but rather to embrace Scripture and apply it correctly. God designed all females to be female and all males to be males for a purpose. But he did not carbon copy every single one of us to look act and feel the same way. Let me say that again. He did not carbon copy all of us to act, feel, and think the same way. Why is this important? God is so creative that there is no best copy of man or woman, but rather many different people with different personalities, abilities, interests, and backgrounds. No two portraits of masculinity or femininity ever look the same because we are not the same people. So while you may not fit into the box that culture has put on what men are supposed to be like and what women are supposed to be like and think about, it doesn't mean that something is wrong. God may, not may, but has created each of us differently. Not fitting into stereotypes is actually more a representation of all of humanity. None of us fit into every stereotype, nor should we. Every single one of you that sit in this room don't fit into all those stereotypes. You maybe haven't struggled here, but you've at least struggled with like, well, I don't care about that stuff as much as they do. Why is that? I feel like I'm different and everyone else gets it. We are made by a creator God who is creative and vast and mysterious. We need him to see, we need to see him as God of our bodies because he has made them and purposed them for his glory and for our good. To try and deny one gender or to try and change it is a rebellion against God, the creator who assigned him or her that gender identity, role, and sexual nature. So where does this confusion come from? Well, first and foremost, it comes from the fall. When sin entered into the world, every way in which we think about, process, and walk out our actions 
was broken. It's broken because of the way we maybe look at the world in a different way, but it's also broken in this category in the way we look at sex and gender. Because the same thing that happened in the garden is happening now with pretty much everything across the board that you could think of. Adam and Eve were in the garden and God said, you can have everything that I have given you. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they got fooled and tricked to believe this. You can be God. You can be God. You can choose what's best for you. Don't let him tell you that there's consequences here. No, there's only goodness for you here. That lie of the garden has been over and over and over again, hitting humanity for thousands of years. And it's the same thing here. God doesn't want what's best for you. He must have made a mistake. I don't want to believe in that. I obviously would be better off if I was over here or I chose to identify here. What you find is that when we put ourselves in the seat of deciding what is best for us, we'll be running and running and running. We won't find it. Because what's best for us is God. And what God has designed us to be and do. So this confusion comes first from that. I think it also can come from broken families. I think it can come from blurring of roles and culture for men and women. I think it can come from... Um, lost my place. Uh, equality gone too far outside the bounds which God created and encouragement to embrace all emotions. Really, what we are all searching for is for my life to feel whole, make sense, make me happy, and to feel known for who I am. But here is what I want you to hear. God says this over you. For you formed me, this is David talking about God, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Who cares if you're a boy or a girl? God does. Because God knit you together before you even had one day. He knew your frame. He knew your substance. He knew exactly what he was doing And I want that to be an encouragement if you sit in here and struggle with this today. Not to say that that's going to fix it or make it all better because I know it is hard. But to have confidence to know that if you are a follower of Jesus, God did not make a mistake. 
He made you the way you are on purpose. If you were a female, he made you a female on purpose. And if you were a male, he made you a male on purpose. With love and care for every single one of your days. Now, how do we go out into the world that believes everything I just told you is a lie? And if you tell them that, it's going to be possibly come across as intolerant, bigoted, hateful, and not loving. Well, I think first, we, we need to know that <clears throat> Jesus cares a lot about our feelings. We talked about this two weeks ago. Does, Jesus, does God care when we hurt? He does. We spoke about this last week. He knows us inside and out. Everything you experience, feel, undergo, and think about, God knows more than any other person. I think that's one of the first things we can move towards people in. Say, the amount of anxiety, depression, not belonging, God knows it. He knows every single one of those feelings. He sees and knows you. Second, I think we also need to know that the Bible tells us that God created everything through Jesus. Jesus made you, which means if you're a boy, you're supposed to be a boy. And if you're a girl, you're supposed to be a girl. And this may sound like a weird encouragement, but if someone is struggling here, you may need to encourage them that I am so glad that you are made in the way that you are. I'm so glad that you're a male. I'm so glad that you're a boy. I'm so glad that you're a girl. And God made you so special because of it. Again, we find our true selves not by following our desires or feelings, but rather by following Jesus. So when our feelings don't line up with following Jesus, we must trust Jesus. Everything around you is going to tell you that follow your feelings. Your feelings are king. If your feelings don't line up with Jesus, we need to trust Jesus, not our feelings. The issue here is freedom. We're all trying to attain freedom, and it's through living outside of God's design. Gender confusion is just one of those ways. Freedom seems like the right to do what we want, but really it is living as we were designed to live. Fish on land is bad. Lions that try to fly is bad. An eagle that's soaring is good. Is what God designed them to do. To reject our gender is to reject freedom. It does not capture it. True freedom for a man or woman comes in being all that God designed man and woman to be. This is all a part of the fall and the fracture of humanity. So when we engage with people about this topic, what you are trying to do is give them freedom to live as God has designed them to live. How do we do this? We do it like we've talked about over and over again in the series. We do it with compassion. We do it with love. We do it with care. We do it with humbleness. 
and with a bold and courageous spirit to share the freeing truth about who God is and therefore who we are. But I want to say those words again. We do it with compassion. Compassion that moves towards people. That literally the inside of you breaks for where that person is and what they're struggling with. And that they don't know God. Or if they do, they can't put the dots together to figure out that God has made them who he has made them to be. And your heart breaks for that in the same way that hopefully your friend's heart breaks for your own sin. And the heart of Jesus breaks for your sin as well. And I said a humbleness, a humbleness not to come to people and say, I have the right answer. Uh, can you just ask me if what you're doing is right? No, it's not. And I'm going to tell you why. It's not the right attitude. There's a humbleness here. It's not trying to prove that you have the right answer. And I'm going to tell you that you're wrong and I'm right. We come humbly as people who have been shown only by grace the truth to others that need to know the truth as well and with a boldness and courageousness because these conversations are hard you're going to need boldness you're going to need to be courageous to step into some really awkward and uncomfortable situations But that's what we're called to do as we love people. Let's pray.